constantly checking yourself, constantly um, jumping and <laughs> sidestepping and uh, avoiding potholes and things like that. And trying to navigate at the same time, you know, trying to make sure you're on the right heading um, in the middle of the night. It is like all, all that. And there was a, the climb up to the cross was pretty, pretty dramatic. Like you had to use your hands and everything, or maybe it was just mm. the route we were on, but it was, you know, it was a proper scramble for a few, um, for a few kilometers, I'd say. You're listening to the winners of the 2022 Art O'Neill Challenge, Ellen Bidding and Alistair Higgins. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, how you all doing? My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have a super Art O'Neill Challenge special this week featuring Ellen Bidding, who won the ladies race in seven hours, five minutes and 18 seconds. Just a couple of minutes ahead of second place. And Alistair Hickens, who won the men's race in a pretty incredible time of five hours, 53 minutes and 33 seconds. For those who haven't heard of the Art O'Neill Challenge, it's a unique event organized by and solely for the benefit of Dublin and Wicklow Mountain Rescue Team. Its 60 kilometer route retraces the historic escape from Dublin Castle that happened on January the 6th in 1592. That night, Art O'Neill and his brother Henry and Red Hugh O'Donnell broke out of the castle and made for Glenmalure. It was a freezing night. The three made their way on foot and without the benefit of winter coats, Henry and Hugh both made it to safety, but unfortunately, Art, for whom the challenge is named, succumbed to hypothermia along the way. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to XL Sports and the Seven Sisters Skyline, which is fast becoming Ireland's greatest mountain race. The main event used to be the 55k scramble across the Derry Bay Mountains in Donegal, which has just over 4,000 metres of elevation. However, Eunan Quinn, the race director, has just announced that this year's Seven Sisters 30km event that has been held on the same day is now part of the World Mountain Running Association World Cup Series, which is great to see on Irish soil. The race is being held on the 21st of May and XL Sports has put up a €5,000 prize fund, which includes a €1,000 for first male and female runners. And all Inspiration Runner followers can gain 10% discount during registration with the code INSPIRE10. I've been lucky enough to survive both the long and short distance of this event and look forward to throwing my hat into the ring in May, so hope to see you all there. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure I give you the Art O'Neill Challenge. Anyway, Alan, um, how do you pronounce your second name? Is it Vidding? Vidding, yeah. Yeah. That's an unusual name from Ireland. It's German. So my parents are actually German. They moved to Kerry when they were... um, I think late teens, early 20, really young. Um, they were kind of traveling um, around England and Ireland and they worked as kind of like a pharmacist, um, like helping on a farm. I don't know what, what you call it, but they uh, fell in love with Ireland and they bought a farm in Kerry. So that's class. And they ended up here. <laughs> that's cool. How did you get an introduction? Just a brief introduction. We are going to just unpack the Art O'Neill. I've got Alistair on. Um, following on after you as well so we're just going to do one episode which would be cool because um, yeah. it was I remember I was doing the Seven Sisters yeah the Seven Sisters in 2019 and it was the first time we were going up the ridge on Muckish and yeah. um, there's a guy walking next to me and I was on my hands and knees thinking what the heck <laughs> um, but it was the first time he told me the story about the Art O'Neill and it really planted the seed like it was, I'd never heard of this race before and it was pretty hush-hush back then as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it still is a bit. It's kind of nearly um, a kind of elitist event without, without, you know, having like 
all an elite lineup, but it's very, you know, a certain type of people will do it. It's it's not <laughs> very open to everyone and, and not everyone will have heard of it, but it, it is such an interesting race. And I think once you get into the ultra running, it's definitely on your radar. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say, we, we interviewed Sean Stewart um, when he won the race last time. Um, and after doing the race, not to jump ahead, you know, we really didn't pull out how tough that course was and how horrible the mountain stage is. Um, no, but... I, I think it's because it's a mixture as well. Like you, like you have the ability to go way too fast because there's so much road on it. So you can really mess yourself up. So what, what's your background before we go into the Art Neil? Because I do know um, you do a bit of adventure racing. I know Laura Driscoll. And yeah. So Laura comes second in the national series last year. Yeah, um, she would have won it last year. So we kind of uh, ping pong most events, and <laughs> she's my uh, number one friend, enemy, and friend. <laughs> <laughs> Your number one nemesis, Laura's fantastic. Like, um, yeah, she is. But she has great attitude. I love racing her. I love and I hate racing her. So. <laughs> So how do you feel when somebody like Laura pulls up to line? Does that really up your ante? You really get she's Oh, it does. And it's it, like, when you see the lineup and you know she's there, you know, you race that much better because you're totally, yeah. you have to give it 110% if you, if you want to be in for, for a chance to win it. So like, totally, it's, it puts the pressure on, but also like it makes you, it gets the best out of you. So like, I do, I do love racing her. And what do you think about the adventure racing then? Do you think it is giving you that more all over sort of body strength and ability then to when you do these type of longer ultras? Yeah. Um, so I suppose I actually started out in terms of sports, getting into just running. Um, and nearly at the same time, I, I started triathlon. So triathlon is actually my first kind of multidiscipline sport. And I was really into triathlon for a few years. And it only, I suppose... The triathlon season so short that um, I kind of was at a loss at the end of August, September. There was no more racing. There's only like normally June, July, August where you race. Um, so that's how I got into the adventure racing. I said, oh, do you know what? I'm, I'll do a race for fun that's, you know, more relaxed and something a bit different. And I did Clarny Adventure Race. Um, it must be uh, eight years ago now nearly. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And like from then onwards, I suppose, rather than being kind of uh, a backup option when triathlon wasn't there, it, it newly became my, my number one kind of goal was, was the adventure racing. Um, so I tried to juggle the two for a while, but then I also started getting more and more into the mountain running and ultra running. And it's kind of taking over so much. The triathlon is definitely taking a backseat now because I suppose I'm doing so much endurance events. Um, it doesn't really suit the the normal kind of sprint olympic distance triathlon so i'm i'm completely more adventure racing mountain running now so that's that's kind of how i got so, here they're so different aren't they like because um I, i've done a bit of triathlon as well and did i think it was the ironman in zurich um and you're going after your times when you're doing your sprints in the olympics but adventure racing and mountain running is just one big adventure isn't it? yeah and i suppose you have to get used to it. i mean the first it's the first time I probably walked during a run stage um, in, in like a multi-discipline event when I did Kalani Adventure Race. It just, it, it, to me, it always felt like I was nearly giving up if I walked in a triathlon. So you have to get used to that different pace and, uh, mm. you know, the, the different stages, they're completely different. Um, and, and even the transitions, especially in these longer races, you have to give yourself a bit more time, but still be organized. But triathlons literally down to like a second or two, you know, you have to be, 
totally sharp and everything is rushed whereas it's a bit more you know it's, it's you, sharp you isn't it like the triathlon yeah, is sharp is. you have to have your plan in place and you go ding 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 where in the adventure racing and the mountain racing you have to be adaptable and be able to change to what's coming up and you you need an open mind because shit goes yeah, wrong totally because you don't like unless you know the course as well you don't know how long the hill's going to go on or how to puff it's going to be so you just kind of roll with it and you just you know give your best but you don't really you don't have a pace plan or you don't you know I, i'd never have like a time plan or a pace or anything like that when i adventure race or even mountain run and that's you know that's the beauty of it it's not so uh, time and pace driven it's just you give your best and you leave everything out there and it's quite you know, liberating isn't it it is it's you know it just takes the pressure off and you really just yeah. you're just there giving your best um the the adventure racing scene has exploded though hasn't it? i know covid sort of yeah. knocked it back a bit like um it's something i'm looking at myself as well even with the long endurance and it's just exciting it is because you you have that multi-discipline and it's still a race like they've gotten so competitive um you know at, at the top field there there's you know the guys and girls take it super serious mm. like it's it's not like i thought when i first said oh i'll do this for fun like it's you know it, it is a proper race <laughs> Um, the the different disciplines as well, same with triathlon, I suppose. Like, but it does keep you away from injury, I think, as well. A lot yeah, more I think I suppose it gives you training options as well. You know, if if you are injured, like uh, you can lean on the you know the paddling or or, or the cycling is great, like just to keep up your your um, endurance. But and you you're not totally at a loss if you are injured. Um, I suppose running is probably the hardest on the body, and you know sometimes you do need a break from it, but. It's great for people like me that don't like to sit still to have other options. So what, what's your split like where your bike and your, your running? Not from a time perspective. I mean, like, do you do like 30 miles a week on the bike? 50, 60, 70 miles a I, week? Or, or are you just random and just love it? <laughs> Put it all uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly random. I don't, I actually, I haven't followed a training plan in uh, forever. Um, I, I kind of do my own training plan, but, but I kind of, like you said, I, I nearly wing it whenever I have time. Um, and I am quite time poor, so running tends to take priority because it's so efficient. You can get so much done in an hour or two, um, whereas the biking and then you have to get all the gear sorted. And I'm a bit of fair weather biker and Ireland in winter is just doesn't appeal to me for biking a lot of time. Until we've so been I'm... hit by global warming, that is like this year has been phenomenally mild. Yeah, it has been. But even as was running you can run in the darkness you can run in the evening um it's so much harder with the bike and uh, i work from you know pretty much from when i get up to when it's dark again so at the moment the biking is really taking a, a backseat but i do find i keep my strength through kind of you know gym work and, and the mountain running as well because you you are working similar muscles less so if you're just on on the flat road but the mountains definitely kind of yeah. keep the strength there you know i think i sh I, I do a lot in the mornings obviously and i actually yeah. i've in some ways, I find parts of my quads getting weaker because they're so <laughs> steep. Believe it or not, they're you're, very steep. Yeah, you're, you're on your tiptoes a lot when you're not actually using the full range of your leg muscles, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I get a lot of um, fatigue, in, endurance fatigue, in, in the top of my quads, even though I can go up and down the mornings all day long, like you know. But yeah. um, it's important, I think. Well, if you want to advance where you're at, um, a bit of gym work and getting a bit of strength into your legs. You still like I go up and down the mountains all day long, but it's still not really giving the overall strength my leg needs. Yeah, 
I know I find the gym great. Um, now, it was in the gym um, when I lived in Trim because I've recently moved back down to Kerry um, and I was in a gym there and I loved it. I used to go two, three times a week um, and it just kind of kept, kept the discipline there because I, it just, you know, it was scheduled into my day and it was, you know, um, once I'd booked in, I went. Uh, now I'm trying to do my own gym work just in, in my kind of <laughs> garage here. It's, motivation is just not there so some morning. Yeah, when the alarm goes off like at half six and it's cold and dark, I'm like, oh, I'll do it later. It's so much easier, you know, making excuses when, you know, you're at home and you, you kind of think, oh, I'll squeeze it in later. Um, but I have, been, I have been quite good, especially in winter. I do try and do two, three days where I do like a gym program. What, what um, does your gym program look like, just briefly? Um, so it's, it's kind of mobility and strength kind of, you know, squats, I do box jumps, um, some mobility stuff, plank, um, kind of working the core. Um, I kind of have a mixture of, I've done Pilates in, in, in the past and yoga, and then I've done a lot of gym stuff and like strength and conditioning classes. So I've kind of taken a bit of what I've learned from everything and, and put it together. Um, so I kind of, to motivate myself, I write up kind of a rough, program of what I want to do the next day so that I have something you know on paper and it normally would involve kind of you know three or four sets of kind of different types of strength work with one day focused on legs another day maybe focus more on high intensity stuff like plyometric kind of things like jumping squats and and you know single leg hops and things like that um so I kind of make up my own pro program and then just just try and stick to it it, it is it doesn't take much, like, does it really? It's just the consistency of no. it. No, once you have a few kind of core exercises, you know how to do them and you do them well. Um, like 45 minutes three times a week makes a huge difference, I yeah. find. I think that's key what you just said there, doing them right. You know, yeah. you could sit and do a thousand setups, but if you, you might get more out of 10 proper ones than sitting doing a thousand. Exactly. And I suppose I'm lucky because I have, you know, um, I have been to really good classes really good instructors that have you know kind of mm. kind of given me that discipline and, and knowledge so that I can do it on my own it's just I do enjoy it more when I'm in a kind of group um, it makes some difference though when you're running across the mountains and you've got a good core or your legs uh, you know you've been doing that gym work you can feel the difference I'm at the opposite side of that spectrum at the minute where I haven't done it. I moved out of the gym into my own personal gym, which is like the Guinness um, complaint room. You know, it's just <laughs> dust on everything around the place. Like, And it is, I find it really hard to motivate myself to go into my own gym. I might go in and start doing a few and halfway yeah. through I just stop and think, no, actually, I'm going to go and get a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I do like to write it down because you have something to kind of yeah. follow then. Like it's not like I plan it ahead, you know, like weeks in advance a program or anything like that. I, I literally will have a think about it the day before and be like, okay, that's what I'm gonna do tomorrow. And then you know, two days later I'll say, okay, well I did legs on Monday. I'll I'll focus more on you know upper body or whatever today and and just write down a few things. So that's... you done the Seven Sisters? Was it last year? I've done it last two years. Yeah. The last two years. Do you like that type of race? I do. I love this. Yeah. Um, really tough now. I must say, Jesus, it, it just felt like you were constantly going up. <laughs> it's just up, up, up. Um, but like those races are so rewarding. Like, and, and the scenery we got last year, not so much the year before. Now the, the day was way too hot. Um, and the amount of water I had to drink was, was unreal. Like, I don't think mm. I've ever drank that much in a race, but, um, 
like it's beautiful up there. That that was my first DNF actually two years ago. That's where I got my injury. Um, it was an injury that sort of plagued me, and I was sort of relieved. <laughs> I was out of the race. <laughs> it was. There was a lot. It a lot was of so bloody hot. Like it was so hot. Like, um, I don't know what how well you done that year. I know last year you came third. I came second that year. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. I remember Laura coming off muckish. I was out of the race at that time, like, and she <laughs> was like, so even <laughs> following you about in those type of races as well. Was that your first ultra you'd done, or you, have you done any before that? No, I did. Um, I did the Morris Mullins, but I did with a group of friends, and we did it. I totally didn't race it. Like we we were chatting and walking, and it was it was very relaxed. Um, and that was to kind of see how I would cope going kind of over the the marathon distance um i i'd at that stage signed up for um an ultra in the azores so that was my <laughs> my kind of first ultra that i wanted to race um so that was 65k i can't remember how much climbing but it was volcano so it was good good bit of climbing um really interesting race um so that was my first kind of um ultra race i i had done the Morris mullins but but i didn't feel terribly under pressure during yeah. that so it's great about the ultras isn't it you can get to pick all these places are all around the world <laughs> there's so many uh, there. you can go anywhere yeah that's the problem but like the more i do ultras the more people i meet that do it the more ideas are in my head yeah. <laughs> the more places i want to go to so like it, obviously it's great but like it's it's time consuming when you have to go abroad and, and things expensive like that expensive as well <laughs> expensive too actually i just i found out this morning i got through in the lottery for the ccc race for utmb no. i'm not allowed so. to, i'm not allowed to mention ccc apparently <laughs> um i did it in i don't think i am either anymore yeah. it didn't go down too well at home <laughs> oh it's a fantastic i done it in 2019 it's absolutely fantastic um, I'm actually yeah. in UTMB this year, so I got into the lottery. Oh, yeah. I got into the lottery last year, um, and there was only fifty places, and thirty-two thousand people applied, and I got one of those places. Wow! Yeah. You see, I, I feel like I have to accept now because it's so rare that you get into these races, especially the first time flying for it. So if I you're in great turn shape. Now, oh, you're in great shape. You don't know what's around the corner. You have to go for these things. Like that's it. You could be injured, or you could be waiting four or five yeah. years. So you know. I, I absolutely loved it, and Chamonix is absolutely mind blown. The only issue I have is I I finished arts. That was literally my first race. I didn't do any road running. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to wipe this bit out, I think. <laughs> but I didn't. I actually, <laughs> I actually didn't train for it. I just went on the back of the fact I'm guiding now in the morns um yeah. and it took me 11 hours 55 minutes I had to walk the last eight miles on the run i was like oh um so going from that to utmb this year is going to be fun i really need to get my finger out now and start yeah. hammering the hills um i am lucky obviously that uh, my job is actually that so it will help but yeah so you're constantly on the hills so yeah the time is going to be hard it'll, it'll be weekends that i really have to focus on getting the long stuff in because i i wouldn't have the time during the week you know to get anything more than you know an hour or two max so yeah we have a couple of great courses up here um some trail marathons which um uh, my company my company <laughs> which we designed just and um, which are great about the half the distance of the dennis rank and round and things like that you know so if you're ever coming up, give us a shout and we'll give you the GPX for it. <laughs> yeah, we used, we used to run a lot um, up in the mornings. I did the Dennis Rankin round last year, actually. Oh, did you? I did, you in, must, in July, have... I think it was. Wow, how'd that go for you? Um, Good, yeah. Um, I think it was 20 hours, Jeez. 20 minutes around that. That was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, we were kind of, I think we were aiming around 22 hours. Um, 
so we were we were very happy with that um yeah. we've done loads of recce's now and lots of training up there last year um so kind of gotten gotten really used to the morns and what, fell in love with them what you'll find in the the ccc what i found anyway was like they're not burner they're not meal more you know they are quite long trails yeah know, so. and they're groomed trails aren't they oh, like they're, they're totally totally like you can actually run on them without having to look at every single foot that's going down you know which can be quite yeah. tiring like uh, no i think you do fantastic in that way. you can't let that pass you anyway <laughs> if you if your name comes out of the hat you just have to go do you know what i mean i know <laughs> i really didn't expect to really see this one i was like oh god <laughs> somebody goes to me how are you going to get how are you going to manage that now from where you're at i guess i don't really care to be honest i can't turn it down <laughs> you know, no. if a DNF at, in 10k in a DNF, but there's no way I'm not going to enter that. Start that. Do you, race. you got into the UTMB as in the, the long one? Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> Say no more about that. <laughs> I finished that in 11:55. Like, and now I have to try and. The thing about um that lottery was I was still in good form around 2019, and the points have moved over. Yes, um, because of COVID, they. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because I've been out for two years with this injury, like, and so I'm fine now. I just now need to get myself back into shape and get my finger out. A lot of work to do between now and August, like, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I won't carry any pressure with it. I'd just be glad for a week in Chamonix, to be honest. It's fantastic, yeah. And you know, once you don't put yourself under too much pressure, and you know you have the head for it and you're not injured like yeah. that that's my biggest fear getting injured and you know i suppose if you're coming back from injury as well you, you can't just horse into the mile straight away <laughs> yeah and, and unfortunately it's my job as well you know so yeah. even and we'll come we'll talk about art now um there's a different layer of anxiety when you're running across all these holes and bogs and rivers. You're like, if I wreck my ankle here, I might have worked for three months. So. Oh, yeah, there was lots of tumbling and falling oh, through the arch, I tell you. But amazing at the same time. So you sort of touched on why Art O'Neill, because it is that sort of mysterious race in Ireland that sort of ultra runners, when you hear about it, it's almost an infected seed that gets planted into your head. You can't let it yeah. go. You've heard it. Somebody's explained it to you. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I got a message from John Murphy. Um, he said, Look, Art O'Neill's registration's open. You want to get your name in? Stuck it in. And then a few days later, he got in. You're like, shit, I had, that's in six weeks' time. Like, I'm still carrying a, a stone from COVID. What am I going to do here? Um, I'm very little. <laughs> so there's no, <laughs> no way you were going to not. I actually went out and done a 14-mile run and then came back and registered. Thought, oh, that's okay. <laughs> you can do 14 miles. <laughs> we can do 14. But I knew I'd be all right when I got to the mountains, you see. So um, for yourself then, you put the registration and it's a lottery. There's 200 people in the lottery. Tell us a little bit about the Art O'Neill. So I suppose it's been on my bucket list. Now, uh, I put it on my... I did a bucket list last year of things I wanted to do and it was on it. Um, obviously, it wasn't ran last year. So um, I carried my bucket list forward to this year and I said, OK, this is what I really want to do. Um, the only thing that turned me off it was, I suppose, I, I, I do have a fear of getting lost during races. And because there is a navigational element to this, I was like, oh, God, imagine getting lost there in the middle of nowhere. Um, so that that's the only bit that had me really anxious. I, I, I must say I wasn't really thinking about the distance or mm. the race itself or anything like that. And the way I approached it really was, you know, it's something I really want to do. I, 
I had all the kit. I suppose I had a backup a GPX file um, on my watch um, that hopefully was going to get me to the right point. Um, if my senses didn't point me in the right way or the right people weren't around me. Um, and then I was just going to, you know, my plan was to take my time and have fun. That's that's what I was telling my friends. But um, the minute we kind of hit the tarmac, it kind of went out the window and it turned into a race. So, so you're, you're on the first 10K in 47 minutes. Um, yeah, we got, I, someone asked me before what pace you're going to do the road. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go too fast. <laughs> but I do this in every race I do. I, I go out like the clappers and I, I fade. Um, and hang on as long as I can and I suppose that's look it, it, you get carried away with it and I was like okay it's a bit fast but then there was people around me and we we're all kind of sticking together and I didn't want to lose kind of the group that I was in and I said look we'll all try and you know stick together so probably was a bit fast I suppose like I could I really struggled taking on um, anything but water in the, in the first 30k and I don't know if it's the night time as well I find it really hard to eat at night when I'm running. I, it's just the body seems to shut down. It, it was really unu. It was really unusual actually, because I was exactly yeah. the same. I actually had, <laughs> and I mostly plant based, by the way, um, three sausages the whole race. <laughs> <laughs> I could not eat anything that was in my pack at all. I just did not fancy. I didn't know if it was because it was that time of night, or yeah. what. Um, obviously, didn't that's what I thought. I thought it was either it was too pacey. Or it was just because of the time of night, and uh, so it's, I I took I actually took gels. Maybe not the wisest thing either. The first twenty k just to keep the energy up because I I felt we were going too fast to eat solids. Um, but by the time I got to twenty k, like I felt fear sick and it just the stomach was not happy. And by the time we got to the first checkpoint, then I tried to eat a cereal bar and it was near to impossible to get it in. And like, I knew I had to eat something at this stage, like, you know, nearly three hours with nothing. So like, that was just horrible trying to even just eat little crumbs and just get it down. It was really hard. Um, it's a long race. Like what, yeah. what, see, just to strip it back a little bit. So into your planning on your course, because you can go absolutely anywhere in this course yeah, so. and everybody did go anywhere there was one point i came down um coming out of checkpoint one hadn't seen anybody for about an hour after it because i was right at the back i was putting my head my hand over my torch hoping to see somebody's torch glare in the mist but nothing and then i came out of the mist there's bloody head torches everywhere there was up on the right ridge on the left ridge down the river and you're like what the heck like yeah there was huge gaps between between like where people were where we're going so it was so how did you pa how did you plan then did you i know i know what a lot of people have done like what we all did you're obviously going to lean on people other people's experience and what routes and what courses to go on to like in your gpx's um there's no way you can go out there without a GPX. Or no, no, you... not, not unless you, you're like an expert on the area, like definitely not. Yeah, and I can, I can navigate really well, obviously. <laughs> it's my job. I was under added pressure not to get lost because I was being trapped. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm not going back out in. Um, but there was times I was, I was thinking like, there, ha there has to be a path here or something. I didn't know the land. And I was like, I'm... I know that, that, that does really throw you because I suppose I had none before now. I had been I had been warned that there's no real clear path to make sure that I wasn't, you know, totally thrown by it. Um 
but still you start thinking god they're all over there maybe they have a good path maybe that's a better route maybe there's a path over there um so like that plays with your mind the whole time that you know maybe you're not on the best path i was very lucky um like in the first 30k there was kind of four of us that stuck together and then by the time we got checkpoint one there was three three of us and we were still together and one of them was he seemed very confident in terms of the route okay. he planned and you know he was happy to kind of take the lead and i was you know i didn't knew no better than my watch so i was like i'd rather go with someone that actually is talking sense and you know seems to know what he's at so um he was a great help um you must have started quite late i think you ran past me actually um we were the very last group i think to start yeah. we started at 11. yeah we started at half 10. you you were with um as I called you the running group actually you must be the running group because there was there's about five or six year together I think. yeah there was a good group of us at the start and then three of us stuck together for nearly the whole race then yeah the other ones had a bit of sense <laughs> yeah. so talk to me about your kit then for the road what were you wearing on the road what was your choice um so road runners on um i put on what i thought i might wear in the mountains uh, minus maybe a, a warmer top so I had leggings um, and a long sleeve top and high vis, and that that was it pretty much. Um, I don't like to layer up too much. I, I get really hot when I run, um, and actually I, I had planned on putting a second kind of top on um, at checkpoint one, but I didn't feel it was cold enough, and I actually wore the same the same clothes for the whole for the whole race, which was great. There was no flapping around, putting yeah. on and off layers and jackets and things like that. So it was pretty cold coming off CP one though. That's when it, yeah, that's I, I think bit. we were quick enough on the changeover. I started getting cold just when we were leaving. Um, I put gloves and a hat on. And actually, that that kind of helped straight away. Um, but I didn't, I didn't layer up anymore. And I kind of, I was borderline a bit cold a few times, but not cold enough really to yeah. to whip out the jacket. So I kind of stuck with it. So that was your strategy in CP one was just to move through. Yeah. No, when we came out there, you have the stretch of the forestry road and then you kind of go into the open mountain. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose, again, like, there was a walking group ahead of us, but they actually seemed to be going too much to the right. And um, so the lad with us was kind of saying, oh, I think we should stay a bit more left um, and kind of keep the higher ground. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, grand, that sounds fine. So um, we kind of, we stuck together and we went that higher route, but we met, like, we seen one or two torches on the way, but very little, like, considering that we were in the back and we were catching people, we thought we'd see more. Um, yeah. But we seen very little people on the mountain stages, like, there was, you know, there was no one really directly next to us at any stage, really, M maybe briefly once or twice, but... For, for most of the mountain, mountain stage, it was just us. So, like, I, I can't imagine if you're on your own starting that and you end up, you know, up there on your own and you can't see any torches. Like, it must be very daunting. You must start doubting yourself. Am I on the right route? Like, even if you had it on your watch, you would start thinking, you know, where's everybody else? <laughs> well, I, I was, that was me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spent about an hour, I think, on my own. And um, even though I did have my watch and GPX, I just could not find a trail and because i hadn't been on that route before i wasn't I sure i think there is a real yeah that's, trail a, that's what there. i was going to say i did i wasn't sure whether there was a trail or not but he kept on picking up on like deer pass or sheep pass you know oh finally yeah oh, no, and then you it. get for a little bit and you're like oh here's a trail and then it's just gone again well yeah. you, you'll, you'll follow the trail for about 100 meters and then you look at your watch or you pull out your compass you go shit them off 
I'm off again. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to stop doing that. Like, um, But I actually, given the course, and I thought to myself it would be better going high than actually going down low um, and actually falling the river down. Um, and when I came down the river, all the lights were up high and I was down low and I was like, damn him, <laughs> I should have went high Like when I looked at the map. Well, actually, the route I had as well um, was the lower route, the, the one you took. Um, and it was only the guy that was with us said he had looked at the map and to him it looked like a better route to stay high. So, you know, he had given it a lot more thought than me. So I thought, you know, he might know a bit more. Um, but then when you come down to the forest, um, I obviously had to climb up to the forest. I think that's where... Okay, yeah, no, we hit it kind of at the top nearly and went down the forest road, yeah. It was perfect then, wasn't it, the way you hit it? Yeah. Keep on climbing up. Did you see many deer going into the forest? No, we didn't really see any deer. I don't remember seeing any deer, no. And we were actually commenting on that coming down at the end. We said, like, there was no wildlife. We didn't see any wildlife, yeah. which was really odd. It was like, just, man was just dead. <laughs> I, I seen deer everywhere. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. Down along yeah. the river in the open, they were, they were there. And then coming through the forest, maybe because I was looking for them, I don't know. I may be going a bit scared yeah. than these guys. But um, they were they were literally standing along the path all the way through the forest. Must seem oh God. Maybe I just had blinkers on. Maybe they were there. Well, you were on a fast stretch of the road, so you were flying there most probably. Um, where does that bring you to then when you're coming through? So you go through Billy Burns Gap. Yeah, you kind of go around the forestry for a while and then there's maybe another checkpoint shortly afterwards before you go totally off-road again. Um, and then you're, it's really CP2 then. I don't know what was happening in CP2 because when I came out of that, there seemed to be a lot of people were on a high road. I don't know if they missed CP2 or not, or if that was an option. Oh, wait, yeah, I didn't know if it was an option. Or not. We just, we seen it, we, we went into it, we actually spent a bit of time there because um, I, I was starting to feel better by the time we got there and I was uh, actually able to eat a little bit um, and just get cold water because I tailwind mix, mixed in my water and I just, mm. it doesn't appeal to me drinking that. I know I always try because I'm like, I have to get something into me while, while I'm racing, but um, I, I just, I, I still haven't found the magic formula what to eat and drink during, during these ultras, especially at night. Um, but I did, I started feeling like a lot better at that point in the race. So um, I, I tried to eat a bit and, and drink proper clean water just there. It's quite a fast stretch that though, isn't it? Because you've got a lot of path, a lot of fire paths. Yeah, and I think that, that helped us a lot because all of us were still able to run when we hit kind of forestry road or, or kind of proper trails. So we did run a good bit, um, all that forestry st uh, stretch until we got to the turn up turn off for the plaque do you know where you go up to the memorial plaque at the fence um, there you come through the gate and then follow the fence up yeah um and i think we kind of we slowed a bit there i think we were just chatting to be honest i think um finding out each other's life stories so i think we kind of settled into a more kind of conversation pace there and um we kind of took our time getting up there and we actually aimed all the way for the cross i think i was paranoid we wouldn't get close enough so i wanted to actually see it and so we actually went all the way up to it and took pictures and everything. So it was very social. I was looking at other people's routes afterwards and like loads of people, especially the ones that were racing and no one actually went up to the cross. Um, 
so that you know you probably would shave a good few minutes off it there because we went all the way up to it and you know i sort of wish i had it though you know because it wasn't really racing and i was like oh, i have never been to the cross i could see it but the direction right, that i, I had neither so I, I did want to see it yeah the direction <laughs> i came though i was down low so it would have been like 15 20 minute climb up to it so i was like mm, this pinged them gone because <laughs> <laughs> isn't it a tricky area isn't it like it is like all, all that and there was a the climb up to the cross was pretty pretty dramatic like you had to use your hands and everything or maybe it was just mm. the route we were on but it was you know it was a proper scramble for a few um for a few kilometers i'd say but listening to you there, like there's so much opportunity. I was trying to take a look at the trackers there, what way I had went, <laughs> what way Alice had gone and what way you'd gone. Everybody's going different directions. Like there's so much learning and time. To there is. And, and that's race. what makes this so interesting. I'm like, there's so much I can take from what I now know to race the next year. And like, I would love to get a chance to, to go up there during the daylight as well and to actually see the routes and the, the options and, and have like a kind of plan for myself like so that I'm not feeling uncomfortable if I'm stuck on my own or anything like that so that I can be comfortable going yeah, out yeah. and doing exactly as I please you know I saw I feel a big drawback to it myself as well obviously because yeah. I didn't give it a, a rattle this time but um at the same time <laughs> you just forget how horrible that land is because it is horrible you know it really it really didn't come out when we interviewed sean stewart and i didn't appreciate you know how difficult and technical because listen i'm in the moans all the time um if anyone knows the moans that there's a the bog area at the end of the seven sevens in front of ben crom it's like running around that in the dark for 18 miles <laughs> like it's just up and down hags and pits and it's really tiring like it really is it's really yeah it's really tiring and it's really frustrating especially when you kind of feel like maybe there's a better way and everyone else down there is on a lovely trail and you know um so yeah it is it's very frustrating and, and it is because 30 kilometers on the road before you hit it you know if you're not careful you're you're pretty tired by the time you start it so you know it's easy to get frustrated um checkpoint two like and checkpoint one i have to, one thing i have to mention is the dublin um wicklow mountain rescue team they were fantastic fantastic they had there were so many of them there and they were all so helpful and like there was so many options if you if you were actually able to eat and drink but there was just the, the even the, the vast amount of them just there and ready to help like was great it really gave you that sort of race buzz didn't it i've been a long time yeah since and i think I that is that. the other thing that's appealing about this event like it's it's for a good cause and you know it's so well supported and so well you feel really looked after as well you know even though they leave you out there in the wilderness on your own but you know they're, they're brilliant um so you know definitely one, one i, I come in i come into cp2 and i started thinking do i really look that bad they come over took all my water bottles off me brought me over food porridge and everything. i said well i don't need anything to eat but thanks for the water and i thought <laughs> do i look that bad that they had to do every single thing for me <laughs> it was hilarious like so when we came up to um arts cross we just hit the river and we turned and i met this group of three girls and they they goes the fun's gonna start now, and I said, "What do you mean?" Because the land the grind's terrible from here on in. I said, "Well, it's yeah. been shit up till now, so it couldn't be much worse." And they were right; <laughs> it was terrible. It is. And and you know when you're you when you're you know you train so much and your your fitness is good at the moment, you do start getting worried, like falling into just these holes, and uh, you know your your feet just going under you. And there's a lot of that kind of rivers underneath the bog, and if you're not careful, you know you can go straight through um 
and I suppose that was the good thing as well about being in a little group there was you know always warnings being shouted and we were kind of you know if you did hurt yourself there was someone there um but definitely like the ground you're just very unpredictable very hard to run unless you're really brave and we were saying that about Sean Stewart and and the lads that were leading like they must be like super confident and brave to just like run through these sections because they're lethal it's almost like a suicide mission like because yeah <laughs> i was i was walking it but i was fast hiking as quickly as i could um but there's one and um, but i was being very sure of my footing obviously with my yeah. job and all relying on it so i was being very sure of my footing and my foot still went through at one stage right above my knee and i went oh yeah because we, the, we all took our turns having tumbles and yeah because of the rivers tops. that were flowing underneath the land um but that area um which takes you to the table track of the hags I was just too tired to go up and down the hag, so I started following them. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. You could nearly be going in circles, though, because, but that's, yeah. You know, when I look back at the how far away I was from the three lakes, um, I was just being lazy at that stage because I wasn't in race mode. I was just going, oh, I'm going to walk <laughs> down this corridor and this corridor. And then my my battery was low on my watch, so I was using my compass. and pulled the compass out and went, Jesus, I keep on going off here. This isn't. And you yeah, can see it on my GPX. Like, it's just, I was like, oh, you definitely learn from that. But yeah. if you look at the GPX, there were some people going in circles. They must have been, like, completely disorientated. Um, it was, one aspect for me was lucky. It was just coming into daylight, just coming to the table track. <laughs> you finished just before six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so it was still dark, um, which is, you know, it, I suppose I, I had started picking up a bit. I always find the hardest times to be kind of between two o'clock and five o'clock just uh, it's like the body wants to go to sleep and it yeah. just kind of rebels against you know doing anything other than resting um so that's like for anything that i've done where i've gone through the night i always find those few hours the hardest and then from kind of five onwards i kind of pick up a bit and once it gets bright it's just different it's like your whole body wakes up along with along yeah. with the world i think no <laughs> so you're 100 right i i can base for that considering i finished <laughs> like 10 o'clock um but like when the daylight come up you felt like you just started the race you know you're, yeah. you're finishing across the finish line is it more energized than the start because it was a half 10 at night obviously like um yeah. you came down the table track and onto the road so yeah we we joined table track um just at the top where the river was and um, that at least we could start running. But we were kind of, we, I suppose we were tired and it was a, a long stretch through the mountains um, and we were kind of tipping away quite handy and just, you know, taking our time, trying not to twist any ankles at this point. Um, but there was a group of them then that passed us and they just seemed to skip past us. And I was like, Jesus, I think, I think I'm taking it a bit too easy here because I think we just settled into the chatting and take it easy mode. And it kind of, it gave me the reminder that, you know, it is kind of a race as well. And I knew we were making a decent time. So I said, look, you know, we're nearly on the road. Um, this is this is it now. Like, if, you know, if I want to give a bit more. And we, we picked it up a bit going down the hill and um, absolutely flew the road. Like, I think we made probably nearly three, four, five minutes on the people um, on that section. Like, like a proper proper running again which is weird because when i first hit the road sometimes when you come up a mountain you hit the road and like your legs just gone like and they were actually fine this time surprisingly um i was tired but they were still moving well so we, we kind of made up really good ground in the last few kilometers 
I think it's because you can't turn your legs over quickly in the hills. I think that's. Yeah, I think I think we probably slowed to a very comfortable pace for a while as well, and it kind of gave me a chance to recover a bit, and I, I felt fresh enough then at the end to actually, you know, run hard. Um, um, what sh what what did you have on your feet um, through the mountain stage? For the mountains, um, uh, speed cross, yeah, salmon okay. speed cross. So I I find them good for kind of the the wet boggy bits now they are like their lugs kind of stick out a bit and sometimes they catch on grass and stuff that's the only thing that i don't like about them they're quite bulky they don't feel very nimble sometimes yeah. but, but um, times. yeah it's such a wet wet kind of mountain that you know you you, you need something like that it was john murthy give me um some tips on where to go and he says look about going down along the river and he says like like your feet will get they will get wet a bit yeah. I was running through bogs and the water was way above my ankles. I was going wet a bit. My feet are soaked, like. Um, but it's not a bad thing either, you know, because it's just all wet. So you just run like hell through it. Um, yeah, exactly. Like you, they, once they're wet, they're wet. You don't. You stop caring, and you just you just take the shortest route. Did you make any kept mistakes or things you would change? Um. So definitely, I would planned route a bit more um i want to know my own route next time as in i want to know what what, what i feel is the best route um and, and not have to and uh, not feel like you know i need to rely on anyone else um and the other thing is i i need to try and figure out a better kind of nutrition plan whether it's yeah. what i eat in the run-up to it or during the event what i'm doing at the moment doesn't seem to really agree with me now I, i've heard of loads of people that seem to have had stomach problems um during this and I, part of it I think is the the night running and the fact that you're running fast at the start that you know I've never really had the problem with ultras because they're at a different pace that you know I don't really get stomach upsets yeah, but right. because it's so fast at the start I think it's very hard to take on the nutrition and then you're heading into the night as well it just kind of wrecks havoc with with your stomach so I it would help with the energy levels definitely if, if i had a better kind of nutrition plan yeah i i did i always i'm a big advocate of eating a lot at the start of a race when you can yeah you need to get fuel in and you're suffering at the end because you haven't fueled properly at the beginning um but i remember bringing taking out a cliff bar and thinking i need to in any ultra if i was doing 60k i would be eating that in the first 10k and yeah. it took a little nibble no way so i took a nutrigrain bar out because it's a bit a bit lighter nope there's no way because you're running yeah you just could and that, not. that was me as well i just couldn't it was like i was nearly gagging when i was trying yeah. to you know and then I, I, but I have to say i got the checkpoint one <laughs> i took a sausage like well you had your in the middle. <laughs> it was the nicest thing i'd ever because i couldn't eat anything at all i didn't fancy anything and i had the sausage so i actually went back and they'd packed up and i went like i was little, like a little boy standing there and he goes everything all right because all the sausages gone <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me two more sausages and away i went like i thought oh that's class like um but i'd say for anybody who's done the art o'neill for the first time the one th they're gonna want to go back um because yeah. you have to it's do it the first time to get the lesson of you there's so much more you can get out of that race so much more lines you can cut across like um i went way too high on the three lakes um i should have come yeah, a lot closer you could cut a lot and now there's a lot more information out there as well uh maybe yeah, shouldn't say that but <laughs> Some people actually went the other side of the tree lakes, the far side. So, you know, it's hard to know. 
yeah. unless you actually see it and, and wreck you for yourself to see like which but it's a proper nav it's a proper navigation course like and shame on me you know i should have really had the points written down and all that <laughs> prep done but you're just not used to that when you're doing an ultra race there's no other race that i've done has required it to that level of detail yeah. so it's, it's a bit of a teaching going into the race for the first time and understanding well shit no you need to do your homework on this if you want to get uh improve your time you can you can cut so much out of that you can definitely and, and you know you'd you you'd feel better about your route as well if you yeah. you know if you knew like the way i mean looking back at it you know like uh, it was great for learning like you know obviously it wasn't going to be perfect because i didn't know where i was going but like just looking back it's great to be able to plan and, and be like oh there's improvements here there's improvements here i want to check out this option so um yeah that's to do for for next year if i'm going to do it again but a good recce on a good day i think if you if you map your course out, i think a lot of people are going to have that in their head map their their right right on on what they've seen what they've learned from others and go on a lovely clear day go down and give it a good shot like and get familiar yeah. with it yeah totally um i didn't mention that you did actually came first in the race um was that a surprise it was yeah it was um i i suppose i hadn't even looked at times that people have previously done so i i didn't really know and um, because we started near the back um it was really hard to judge because I suppose yeah. we passed a few people, but it, like some of them had started an hour, an hour and a half ahead of us. So um, there was no way of knowing where there was. And there, I didn't, I forgot it was actually on the tracker. So you could have actually been <laughs> watching it, but um, I wasn't watching anything. I just, at the end, I think we kind of felt it was a decent time. That's why I kind of went for it at the end. Um, and I did know, I think I only won it by two minutes. So I it was really tight. Is, is it Leanne or? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think Leanne she's only was her name. two minutes. So what time did she start? Don't know. She's, I think she started nine or nine thirty. She definitely, she was definitely changed, and she looked very clean and rested. <laughs> but that might came across. But that makes it tough, doesn't it? When you've got a staggered start like that, you don't know. Yeah. When you're, if you're, if you were out and out racing for that first, second, or third position, like you do, really don't know what's going on. The the only good thing I suppose is once I finished, um, I kind of knew there wasn't anyone behind me. So yeah. at least once you finish, you know that's your place. Whereas I suppose Leanne was there where she was probably leading for, you know, a good hour or something okay. after she finished before she knew where other people were coming in. So that would be hard when you know yeah. you did a good time. I can see her. It's like a time trial in the Tour de France. You know, she knows her time. She's sitting at the finish line waiting to see everybody come in. So she must yeah. have been sitting watching you coming down that without a doubt. And then you Probably just crossed the, crossed the line, like, and you beat her time trying, like, damn, damn her. Um, yeah, um, two minutes isn't a lot, so, but it just goes to show, I suppose, when, you know, you're doing such a long race, um, you know, if you still have anything left in you, you should give it at the end, because you never know, like, there could be someone right behind you, some right ahead of you, you know, it does sometimes come down to seconds, sometimes there's huge gaps in these races, but sometimes not, so... Um, I, I just I feel very lucky that it went my way, but it could have gone either way, you know. Um, well, they say um, luck is preparation, meeting opportunities. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one thing that did pop into my head, and we'll finish on that, is um, all I could think of was fair play to anybody who has ever finished this race. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, all the and walkers and everybody that's out there, like this is a this is tough terrain. Even more, I suppose, the people that are out there for you know. 10 hours 13 hours that's a long time on your feet and a long night you know 
um, like it was. And if you're any bit like not feeling well, like it's just an epic achievement, you know. And it is like that's ultras are, are the ultimate feel good event when you finish because it is such a big achievement, you know. Yeah, I just think this has got that added piece that uh, the course and you could do so much better. So it really, unless you go back, get the opportunity to go back, obviously, um, and knock out your best course, it's not going to yeah. settle until that's done. No, and I think because it's at night and everything, it just adds to it as well. Like, you know, it's it's not just the, the usual, it's not just the distance. The distance is nearly the least of your worries. It's all the other elements of this race. And to be fair, we were lucky with the weather. With the weather, I, yeah. Because some of the years that I've heard, you know, worse. raining from start to finish, snow, whiteouts. I, I can't imagine what that race would be like in the rain from start to finish. Although I wouldn't mind seeing a bit of snow, but, you know, <laughs> Adam, thanks very much. Um, we're going to wrap it up at that. I appreciate your time this evening. I'm, I'm going to edit oh. this and get it out on Friday. Um, I'll get Alice's as well. I'm going to combine the two of them together. Okay, great. All right. Well, I'm after talking about the gym so much, I'm actually going to go to the gym now for my first session uh, since the race. <laughs> she's lying at 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm going to have to make dinner then as well, so it's going to be a long evening. When you're talking about going to the gym, I just need to get my finger out now and do that, like, Great to well, be you back. Have, you have nearly an hour until Alistair, so yeah, off you go. <laughs> yeah, I might go down the stairs and get a biscuit and then walk back up, do a few lunges. Alan, <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much. I appreciate very it. Very good. Thanks um, Good luck this year. We don't speak to you before, before that anyway. Um, Shamley's fantastic. Get your hotel booked. That was a great chat with the female winner, Ellen Bidding, an absolute superstar. I hope she does really well in the CCC. Please stay with us. We have fourth place finisher in Spartathlon and winner of the 2022 Art O'Neill Challenge, Alistair Higgins. So you haven't, you actually haven't been doing ultras that long, really. Um. Well, yeah, I, I consider myself now a, a sort of a seasoned ultra runner, but maybe two years ago I didn't. Um, not that we've done a huge amount in the last two years with the pandemic and everything, but... Yeah, I I think twenty fourteen was my first ultra, but then I didn't really train properly for ultras until probably 2016, 2017. Yeah, eight years. And the reason why I say that obviously was your sp your finish in Spartathlon. So you had a fourth place finish. Yeah. Which that's mind blowing. Like and just strangely enough, it was right behind uh, Radic Brunner, who was mm -hmm. infamously disqualified in the quarantine backyard. Yeah, I, I think I had a quick conversation with him about that uh, last year and just offered my commiserations. What a way, that. like the whole world was watching that event. It really drew everybody in because it was yeah. a quarantine and drew everyone in. And then what a way for it to finish. Boom. He, he's been on the podium at Spartathlon four or five times now and never wow. actually won it. I was second or third. But absolutely mind blowing, like for like eight years ago to do your first ultra. What drew you into that first ultra? How did that happen? Um, well, I'd done a bit of running, you know, like everyone else, half marathons and I think one marathon. And I picked up Scott Jurek's book, Eat and Run. Yeah. And he was my first sort of role model, I suppose, um, in the way that he talks about his experiences and in races and. The emotion behind you know what what he does and um 
how he does coming it. from from far behind and winning a race and and those kind of t- types of scenarios so um I was like, right, I have to give this a try, you know, at least give it a try. <laughs> and at that stage, it was, yeah, it, it was Connemara Ultra with the 64K um, race. And that was, I thought that was the limit. That's the, the most I could possibly do. And um, it felt like that on that day. But, you know, you know yourself, one thing leads to another. And, and before <laughs> you know it, you're doing 100 miles or more, like, in a it race. Just, just opens that door, doesn't it? My first book yeah. was Dean Carnaz's um Midnight Runner, I think it's called, yeah. is it? Where and it was the same as well. I'd done a few marathons. I read the book and I put it down and I go to my wife and going for a run and she was like, uh, how far are you going today? I goes, I'm gonna run a marathon. She's like, What? <laughs> and I just went out to try it. It took me like five and a half hours, but it was still yeah. mad that you just ran out the door just because you'd read this book and been influenced by that. But Scott yeah. Jurek potentially i know we've got a different type of um phase of ultra runners coming through but he potentially is maybe the best that there has been even now with all his western state wins because he didn't really have anybody to push him to get those times no and he's had some great performances at spartathlon you know i think at the time he had um the second and third fastest times um after yanis kuras obviously and Bad Warrior won that a lot of times. I, my initial um, thoughts as an ultra runner was, well, maybe I'll get to do Bad Water one day. I, I wasn't really thinking about Spartathlon or anything else, but when when I started doing 100-mile races, it was like, okay, I'll get an application into Bad Water, and uh, surely I'll get in if I meet the minimum requirements. Why wouldn't they let me in? <laughs> and then, of course, it didn't happen. And that, that ship has... has um, well, that bird has flown that ship has sailed because uh i just couldn't afford to get it get there now like yeah yeah it's no, a bit no it's chance. a bit that's the problem with these big races like but how did that progress from when i say you know eight years <laughs> and to get a fourth place spartathlon's a huge race like what is it 240 odd kilometers isn't it 246 yeah yeah jesus like yeah. that is just mental to go from that to that so how many years were you running six was it uh, sorry ultra running uh, five, five years. Um, That's not a slow progression, Alistair. I had, I'd had a few, a few moments where I kind of reevaluated things, and and I, I think this must be something that I just do occasionally. But in when when was the Belfast twenty four hours that the, the World Championships was that twenty seventeen or twenty sixteen? Yeah, um, it was around. It was around that twenty eighteen, around that time. So it must be seventeen. Whenever, whenever that year was, I I'd done that race as, as my first twenty four hour race, and I just I contracted Lyme disease that summer, Shit. and stupidly I went into that race having not completed uh, my treatment for it, um, but I did all right. <laughs> I um I did one hundred and thirty miles, wow. and then um I I went back to see a specialist and it turned out i hadn't been cured or anything I, I still had lyme disease so i i eventually got cured and i had this new lease of life because yeah I, lyme disease is horrible you feel yeah. tired and um achy joints and things and I, I didn't even have it that bad but um as a runner it, w- it was hard and bit um, disabling yeah but i got through it and I, I got the right treatment fortunately and the timing was was really good that i got all got done and i said to myself well why am i messing around if i you know i'm a, a decent enough runner and i'm not really training like 
like the top guys do. I'm not doing the same mileage. Because at that time I was doing about maximum of 70 miles a week, something like that. And I'd be on and off. I'd be, you know, I wouldn't have a race coming up, so I wouldn't train that hard. And then I'd have a race and I'd train for mm. a month or a month and a half. And I said to myself, no, you have to be more consistent. You know, looking at 100 mile weeks um, whenever possible. And and that's the way it took it. So 2018 was actually quite a, a quiet year, apart from my f- being my first Spartathlon, where I came 10th. And that was that was mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, coming 10th in Spartathlon. Um, so, is, like, it's a huge race. Like, it's huge. Yeah. Like, the history in that race. And it, it's just it's just one of those bucket list race that sits right at the very top of people's lists. And, like, to yeah. come 10th in that, like, is just boom. Yeah, um, so that kind of set me off, and I was like, "All right, I've done tenth place. Uh, maybe I could get top five or a podium next time around." So at some point in twenty nineteen, I I got injured, and then I approached uh, Camille Heron about uh, coaching whilst I was injured, and took her on, and she got me back to fitness. And I would say, um, partly all the groundwork I'd done before on sort of high mileage weeks and things, and um coaching myself and then partly what i did with her and her her husband connor in training coming up to spartathlon 19 that was really what made me sort of achieve a better performance and and come forth uh i think that was probably the the best prepared i've been physically and mentally um before a race um in 2019 so Uh, how how do you one thing that I'm always going to struggle struggle with is this consistency of such high mileage. So when you took Camille on, um, mm. who's an unbelievable runner, as I don't think she needs um, any introduction. Like as anybody who's an ultra <laughs> runner will know Camille. Um, what they don't know is her husband's from Ireland. A lot of people, but anyway, um, like how do you maintain that consistency of hitting a hundred mile weeks? You know, I I I I go after not that, but I go after and start hitting about sixty, and things just start breaking down on me. Yeah, um, I should add that these days I I'm not I'm not doing routine hundred mile weeks. So you know, if I'm in a sort of training cycle, I might do three or four if I have the scope to actually have a good proper run up to a race. I'll, I'll maybe have three or four weeks where I'm at hitting 100 miles or slightly more. It was, I suppose, my own motivation. Um, but finding the opportunity, any opportunity to go out for a run, mm. um, whether it's getting up, you know, at the crack of dawn or before the crack of dawn, or when I was working away from home, running to wherever I was working at and then running back. Um, I work from home now, so um, I don't have that excuse. Um, but physically, yeah, it was it was tiring, but um, unfortunately, I only ever got injured once, and that was actually more because of a race than uh, training. In short, I don't really know. I it was like I'm obviously I'm I'm built for yeah. for that kind of. Um, Is it a good balance mileage? though, and and having a good head on your shoulders that you're you're having a good mix of training sessions, like nice and easy yeah. runs. The easy runs is building yeah, that yeah. base, isn't it, really? Like, and, and oh, giving absolutely. that strength. I think, I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make where they think um, every time they leave the house, uh, it's like they have to be doing something uh, with their run. Um, but a lot of the time when I'm running, I'm just thinking, this is a, a recovery run. Don't push the pace, just um you know do whatever mileage it is on this run and then you'd be fresh for the next 
quality session and or the next long run um so yeah it, it's a question of balance and uh yeah re realizing uh when you can push it and being fresh enough to push it when you need to push it what, what about gym gym work do you do much gym work for strength or anything like that yeah well i didn't and i know the value of it now um in the first lockdown and god it's hard to remember what year we're in yeah i know now we've gone um, past january it's like the whole thing first lockdown was in 2020 and uh camille sent me um some uh strength and conditioning stuff because i asked her about it and i was like i don't really do much you know i i'd um more of a, a cross trainer at the time i do a bit of cycling or um other stuff but um if i was in ever in the gym i might do the rowing machine and, and things like that but um now i have a whole group of exercises that i do um and try and do them at least once a week maybe twice a week and mm. i think strength is now i can realize like strength is hugely important if you if you don't want to get injured you know um and i'd say for any runner starting out probably do as much strength training as you do running initially yeah. um because everyone gets injured when they start out I've learned all this after the fact when it's too late, <laughs> you know, and we, we did have Martin Cox on as a, maybe one of the best coaches in the world at the minute. And, and one thing he said to me, like, you know, the strength and conditioning will keep you away from injury, which will keep you running yeah. consistent. And yeah. that's the key thing. You know, mm -hmm. everybody knows the performance comes with consistency. If you get a nice run, um, sorry, series of runs, like, and you can maintain that consistency month after month, all the yeah. way through that year, then you'll start seeing a totally different performance. Um, we put a lot, like, we're in the middle of the pack or at the back of the pack. We put a lot of effort into it. We put a lot of money into it. There's these small little things can absolutely change everything. You know, it's not yeah. like the best shoes or the best kit or there's just a little bit of nice consistency and not running away with yourself and getting, I call it Superman syndrome. When you start mm. feeling that strength <laughs> coming, all of a sudden you do, ah, oh, this 10 mile should be nine and a half minute yeah. miles but then you knock out a seven minute mile and you're like, yeah that was great and then two weeks later you're lying up again i remember when when i took camille on actually i should say i'm not with camille anymore I, i'm self-coaching again but um when i took her on and i was injured um i think the first thing she asked me was like what have you done in the last week and i was like well last night i went out for a test run and did um 10k in 40 minutes and she's like what <laughs> You, you know you're injured <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that but kind of thing yeah. and you see that on strava all the time you see people uh who've been injured and they're like they post up a fast um run and it's like this was a test and it's like yeah. you don't need you don't need to test yourself you know you know when you're not injured um it's like it's like you're so, yeah. you've got a sore knee or something you know and you're going up, just going up the stairs you can't walk up the stairs you have to sort of run up the stairs and test your knee to see is it still yeah. there <laughs> like as if it's going to miraculously disappear from this morning like yeah. um but that's one key thing i think you can see um i took a look at your strava um the consistency that you had you know between 75 and 100 mile weeks um and anybody that i've had on the podcast who has had really good performances you know that's just that's what everybody has is that consistency yeah. high mileage and like 60 miles a week sort of it's great to have that. It's good for a sociable runner, but if you really want to try and... It's just building that base, isn't it? That good yeah. strength base so that you can... Because it's fatigue in your legs and the muscles. You're doing a race like Spartathlon, 246 kilometers. Um, oh, there's fatigue. 
you know <laughs> this fatigue. Um, you get you get tired, and then you realize you're you're not even halfway through the race. You know? yeah. <laughs> How do you fuel on a race like that? Oh, I messed up last year big time. Like my my fueling was um, a big mistake. I I took on higher strength tailwind than I should do, and I was trying to take down gels at the same time and it was it was hot you know it yeah. was in the 30s and my body kind of shut down but normally i would do uh, a combination of tailwind and gels i think i just took on too much energy and ended up with a gut bomb and a stomach that just wasn't processing anything um yeah so last year last year was a bit of a disaster because of that um I had to basically take time out and wait for things to start working again before I could run. Um, but normally um, I just take on a gel wash down with Tailwind every 40 minutes and I'd set a timer on, on my watch for 40 minutes. So every time the, the timer goes off, just take, take another Is it gel. like an ISO gel yeah. you're taking? Something a bit more... Um, I, I've mixed it up and I think that was maybe one of the other problems with last year. Like um, I've switched brands <laughs> far too many times mm. um i mean recently i've used goo and uh sis science and sport uh or whatever they're called and they, they've yeah. been fine um i used to really like the kinetica gels but i think they've pretty much phased them out um uh, i i find it hard i i went onto the kendall gels there they've got 100 milligrams of caffeine and i mean yeah they give me more strength than i've got <laughs> i love them yeah. But yeah. I end up hammering hammering gels and then my stomach goes against them and they have a psychological block against them. I've taken that many of that type of gel. I'm like, yeah. Um, and in training, you're taking them, you're like, I should save these for the race. They're working that good. But they run their mm -hmm. course with me. Do you find that, that they run, certain fields run their course and you can't really go back to them or? I would um, I would have, yeah, low points and um, I, I'd, I'd use Morton as well. Like, uh, I, But that's usually there as a, as an emergency, you know, <laughs> tactic, because you, you kind of think to yourself, well, if I take a Morton gel or some Morton drink, then that might solve whatever the problem is. But uh, I don't know. I, I think I still haven't found the, the right gel as such. Yeah. I, I used to swear by Tailwind until last year and then I ended up having problems with it. So I, I yeah, find I think once, one. Yeah, I find it that once you've had problems with it, it's hard to get back to where you were with that type of i don't know if it's a psychological thing or not but if you've if you had a bad stomach or you felt sick um yeah. i used to take gels and cliff box all the time until i had a really horrendous seven sisters sort of race where i was sick for about four hours and i just couldn't touch oh. the yeah. cliff blocks after that um and i loved them <laughs> you know they were <laughs> two blocks and they just kept them kept me going but it's yeah. something the longer the race, obviously, as well, you just need to be adaptable. We were talking, me and Ellen yeah. were talking about um, the Art O'Neill there, and because of the first 18-mile run, mm. and I always like getting food down at the beginning of an ultra trip. I couldn't eat because we were running as such. Yeah. And the yeah. only thing I could eat was when I got to CP1 was a sausage. And I goes, well, <laughs> if that's what you want, that's what you're getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, what drew you to the Art O'Neill then, as we're on the subject? um hearing about it through various people i suppose ian keith uh, namely being uh someone who's won it several times and uh 
I think I may have stumbled upon his um website and his race report on one of his his runs uh before I I tried to sign up for the Art O'Neill. I it was always on my radar and anyway I got in in twenty nineteen to to run it and um I was like yeah this is this is great this is going to be really good you know did some some good recce runs and uh I was like pumped up for it and. Uh, ran at with a guy called Florian Reichert who ended up winning it and uh, we were together on the road um, until CP1 pretty much and then he took off he just disappeared <laughs> into the mist you know there was bad visibility that year um, it was a bit like this year it was it was it was a good year in terms of weather but you just couldn't see a thing yeah. um, uh, once he got into the hills um, so yeah, he broke the course record and had a, a great race. Uh, he had never done a recce run. He just had a GPX. Uh, I still don't know to this day how he did it without knowing the course yeah. or anything. I had a nightmare. I ran well up until checkpoint two. And then in that whole section where you're going from checkpoint two up towards Arts Cross, you didn't have to get near arts cross mm. um at that time but i i got lost and ended up climbing up what seemed like a cliff without being able to see a thing you know because the visibility was low so i i knew i was going up but i couldn't see if there was more cliff above me or what uh it's tough that then, like and you can't see any head torches anywhere and you're yeah. like where the hell am i what what direction am i going yeah. and then round about the three lakes that year i I was running again after the, the, the cliff incident and uh, running really good pace. Again, visibility really bad. And uh, I just ran into a bog uh, yeah. <laughs> at full tilt. I was up to my chest uh, in freezing water and uh, sinking. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. And then I got, got a bit lost again and obviously lost more time. And all my gear failed. My, my head torch uh, went, no but I had way. a... A hand torch as a backup my backpack broke so i just strap it together <laughs> again uh i was still in i think second place before table track and then loads of runners just passed me coming down table track and yeah that was that's the way the race goes i learned lots of lessons that year that you know get your navigation right and save some energy for the last bit of the race i think that's yeah. it like i'm like i'm craving to get back now because i've done so much wrong because i was i just yeah. wasn't aware um i had interviewed sean stewart who had a fantastic run mm. um, I'm glad he wasn't racing this year <laughs> it's mad like but what one thing i didn't get from the podcast was how rough the terrain was you know and yeah. i pretty much followed the sort of route that he took and I was like, wow, how, how can people move fast over this terrain? It is absolutely... Yeah, constantly constantly checking yourself, constantly um, jumping and <laughs> sidestepping and uh, avoiding potholes and things like that. And trying to navigate at the same time, you know, trying to make sure you're on the right heading um, in the middle of the night. Yeah. So what did you do leading up to this race then? Um, obviously, there are so many courses... And there's so many different ways to go and yeah. so many top level people go different mm. ways and it yeah. brings the question is there a right way or is there a wrong way do you go high on the ridge you go down low on the river and um, what way did you sort of plan that out yeah i did two recce runs and i probably should have done three but the first one was the whole of the the mountain uh, course so from what called checkpoint one uh to 
the old finish line at the the Ford. Glenmalure. So that was that was a good one. My second one was basically finding out what routes I could look at, and then finding out that they were hopeless. <laughs> they were what uh, you shouldn't do. But I'd seen on Strava a few people doing recce runs and going odd places, and I was like, oh, right, I have to check that out and see see what's going on there. And no, um. That's the beauty of Strava, though, isn't it? I'm a real Strava yeah. stalker, like, and you go and you zoom in. Why are they taking that line? And I wonder yeah. what the grind's like. Because that's the only yeah. thing you don't know, is what exactly. is that grind like? Yeah, I mean, I I poured over maps and uh, satellite imagery and, and stuff after I'd done my recce runs, and I put together a GPX route that I thought was, was good. But even looking at the satellite picture, you can't really tell what the ground is like you know because you're you zooming see, way in aren't you as close as yeah. you can to try and see it you can see kind of what it looks like but you know you don't know if it's boggy or if it's yeah perfectly level or if it's just those nightmare tussock sort of uh heather sort of plants coming up all over the place the strava heat map is a, is a good one to look at for anyone who who does this race and wants to log you know a create a gpx because if you look at the strava heat map you can see the routes people have taken so obviously if someone uh, has run um a certain way then there is a way through and it must be okay so you just reminded uh, me of um you can actually watch everybody that's on the race i haven't done that in a few years i can't remember what you call it but you can you can if anybody is on strava that's on the race um, when you go into the race you can press play and see everybody racing on strava yeah I haven't seen I haven't seen that in a while, so I must check that because you can see everybody in what direction they went. Something yeah. I did when I was um, getting ready for the race, when I was trying to map out the course, um, I set up a course in Strava, but I could actually turn the map in three dimensional. All right, um, it's the first time I've seen it, and you can actually see that you were coming up through the re-entrance or going over the top of the ridge, so you could actually mm. get a map and turn it flat yeah. and have it three dimensional on Strava. Um, I don't know if that's a new feature cool. or not, but it was it was good. But the only problem with it is you don't know the ground, and what yeah. looks like the best and fastest route could be a lot worse ground. You might be better off going higher. So the recce is the only thing that's yeah. going to tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what's your strategy going in? Because you've done a fast ten um, k, forty three minutes, bang, right out the vault. It's yeah. Um. I was actually slower this year than I was in 2019 on, on the road, but that was intentional. Mm. And I looked at my 2019 race and was thinking to myself, I need to dial back my kilometre pace by about five seconds a kilometre um, to make sure I had enough energy for that last um, sprint along the road. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the extra bit that they tagged on this year. Um so that was my strategy, and I, it went pretty well. I did actually start feeling pretty tired as soon as we hit the, the hilly stuff on the roads. Um, so it, it was a question of um, running as fast as I felt comfortable with um, once yeah. we hit the hills. Not um, too much but yeah, the, so the, flat, the flat stuff was like, keep a, a good, consistent pace. Um, I wasn't trying to get carried away and, and run too fast. Um, cause I know Matthew who came in second, I think he, he reckons he overdid it on the, on the road. He was faster than me, um, for most of the race, uh, but especially on the road. That's um, what makes it so unique, so. isn't it? Apart from the course, yeah. 
which you can get totally wrong. Yeah. Um, the road, you can get your. It's all. It's a. It's such a strategic race. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. It's it's got a bit of everything for anyone who you know any discipline uh, in running. I mean, it's it's even like, well, what shoes do you wear in a race like this? Because you've got a, a road section. You could change into trail runners later on, but you've got that um, farm track bit in um, towards the end of the road section where road runners are just awful on there, um, yeah. especially if it's really wet and muddy. Um, so what yeah, shoes? What shoes did you wear then? Did you change at CP? I, yeah, I got um, a pair of Innovate Terra Ultras yeah. um, about a week before the race. Um, so that week was spent getting used to them because they're zero drop. I'm not used to a zero drop shoe. So my worry was that I could end up getting injured if I wore them in the race, um, having not run a significant um, distance in them. Um, but they were great. I think I, I just adapted to them at the right time um, for the race to happen. And on the road, they felt really good. And then on, in the hills, they, they felt great as well. Um, did you wear, You didn't wear them in the, f- the first 18 miles, did you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't you change did. shoes. Yeah, um, just kept them on. I was, yeah, two minds about that. I, you know, I was thinking, well, I could wear a pair of Nikes and run it five minutes faster, but then spend five minutes changing shoes and get frustrated. That's um, mad. I wore the same shoes, by the way, the V twos. Um, yeah. I was actually surprised. I did change them at CP once. It was only at the last road section. I was actually yeah. surprised how comfortable they were running on the yeah. roads. Yeah. Um, but forty three minutes in your <laughs> Terra Ultras. I was not Terra Ultras. <laughs> sorry. Um, did you say Terra yeah. Ultras? Terra Ultras. Oh, yeah. sorry. It was the Talon Ultras yeah. I was wearing. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. The Talons, they, they wouldn't be good in the road. No. Yeah, no. I was wondering. <laughs> no, Terra Ultras are fantastic. I love the yeah. ground to uh, touch feel in them. You know, you really yeah. can sort of move quickly. Um, two great shoes, not um, Sport and Innovator, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so you found them okay in the mountain section. They were, they were grippy enough. Yeah. I mean, I had a few moments where I hit some mud and uh, they didn't get traction. But. Um, my main problem in 2019 when I ran a race, um, well, one of the main problems, there were several, but um, coming down table track, I was wearing the, the X-Talon Innovates that year on the on the mountain. Slippy. And it was wet. Uh, so coming down the table track, which anyone who doesn't know it, it's, it's rocky uh, in the main, but there are sections where it's, it's like granite uh, cobblestones, but big mm. slabs of granite. And... Uh, they just had no grip on on there at all. I was literally tiptoeing my way yeah. down uh, whilst other guys were flying by me. So I was like, okay, get the get those shoes with graphene in them, and they'll be able to grip, uh, no problem. So, uh, yeah, they were they were great on that section. I do f- I do find though that the new um, G three hundred flies like they they've got the graphene in them. Yeah, they are so slippy on the rocks, like. Oh really? Uh, I hate to say that about Innovate, like because I love Innovate. I have their boots and the the shoe as well. Um, I think they're fantastically comfortable, um, but they mm-hmm. do slip a lot on the rock. Like, but I was used to speed goats in the mornings; they just stick to the rock. Um, but these things, yeah, I've got like, them as well. Yeah, these things they would be class going down that path. Obviously, you could just yeah. health of leather. Like, but the t- Terra Ultra is that sort of middle of the road that sort of fits in between them. I think, which is really good. You know, when you've yeah. got the talons and the speed goats, the Terra Ultra is somewhere in the middle of that. Um, 
So coming out CP1 then, so it just sounds like if you were happy to wear the Terra Ultras for the run, that you were just going to run through CP1. You didn't want to lose any time there at all. Yeah. No, I didn't stop. Didn't stop anywhere, but I, I, I had to tie um, my laces at <laughs> checkpoint two. <laughs> checkpoint two. Um, I just had to tighten tighten the laces up rather than uh, them coming undone. But that was the only time I stopped. It is a key point, though, because when I came into CP1, I had two Innovate bags. I had my Ultra Innovate bag, my race bag, and I swapped them over. And I didn't even go into my bag once. Like, you yeah. know, I didn't yeah. even go in for food. I was just eating sausages on the way, and that was it. Like, <laughs> um, but it is, you don't need to. It's too much flapping about. You're overcomplicating yeah. it. And what I suppose the weather conditions can change that, but we were very lucky. Yeah, and it was exactly. mild. Yeah. Um, so we didn't need to have that. But yeah. you can wear, a- wear too much on the road, though. You, you can overheat very quickly if you're moving fast. Yeah, I didn't uh, wear a, a vest on the road, so I had my uh, GPS tracker in my, in my shorts. Um, I had a pair of decathlon trail shorts that have all the all the pockets and stuff. Um, but I was like, why why would I want a race vest on the road? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point actually, because <laughs> you don't actually need much kit um, for the road section. You know, your first aid and your head torchlight, and that's it. Like, so yeah, hopefully there's nothing that's going to go wrong. Hopefully. Yeah, and there's plenty of water on course for the checkpoints. Um, so the ground aspect of it and how you move across the ground, did you do anything for that to get your... I know you've done a couple of reckeys, but it is, yeah. it's it's a bit... Uh, suicidal is not the right word, but one wrong footing, and it's not just the race that you're out of. <laughs> it's one of yeah. those It's one of those type of races, like, isn't it? You're, you're sort of on eggshells going across that mm. because... I. I had one pretty bad fall, um, yeah. But I, I did um, probably more strength and conditioning. I was uh, sort of adapting uh, one of the Fitzinger marathon plans in my training for this. But a lot of the time when it called for speed session, I'd be doing that speed session on hills rather right. than on, on the flat. So, and just purely doing it on effort than than a pace or anything like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of uphill running, but also very fast downhill uh, repeats as well. Yeah. Whenever the opportunity came, and my 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 forte is probably downhill uh, running over okay. uphill. I I'd still struggle going up. Um, I think there's maybe a bit more strength to come there uh, for that. There's um, a lot of confidence for going down though, isn't it? And, and yeah. the more the more you practice that, the more you can relax. And obviously, yeah. if you're relaxed, then well, the safer yeah. it is. If you if you have a bit of strength in the legs towards the end of a race and you can really let the brakes off, um, you're going to gain time. And uh, I think that's that's what happened in my race. I think that's what I definitely made up whatever time I'd lost earlier on, on in that last section. But then I tripped up, <laughs> face planted on those uh, cobblestones, and uh, I was like, oh, God, yeah, this isn't good. Was that this year? That. Yeah, this year, yeah. Jeez. Um, so I lost a few minutes just trying to get up and uh, get going again. It's pretty winded. but um, it's go- It goes pretty steep again. there as well on the cobbles, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So just stubbed my toe at the wrong moment and uh, went flying. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of dignity um, hurt there. Like On your section then to the cross coming out there's a couple of different ways you can go um i was told just yeah. go straight across the river and up through the boulder field yeah and is that the direction you went or did you go up on rounds no i'd uh 
I've done that twice on my recce runs. And then my last one, I went back the way I planned on going in the previous year when I did it. Um, but that's where I got lost. So instead of going up the river, up that river, I went a bit further south and, and went up what is kind of like a ridge um, mm. that is less steep. But the ground isn't great. Um, you know, it's it's hard to run on. I, I, I think it's it's probably six and a half a dozen really between those two routes i think the route i took if you can find uh a decent path along there and i think there is um a half decent one that i didn't hit uh at the weekend um you could be a good bit faster but i just didn't fancy going up those that sort of bouldery yeah uh, it goes goes on a bit like yeah (laughs) it doesn't even look Uh, that high in the dark uh Three quarters of the way up, you're like, does this never friggin' end? Like, yeah. <laughs> I actually got a little bit disoriented up there because for some reason I thought I was going to turn right, but you're not. You're going straight up and over there and straight through. Yeah, that that whole area with the with the peat hags and then the three lakes is just really hard to get your bearings. It really is because you have all these kind of rivers and streams heading in different directions, and you, yeah, you don't know uh, where you are at all. I, I had a few a few issues with with that, but you know, heading from what is the virtual checkpoint at Arts Cross um, towards the river that most people take to get down into the valley, um, yeah, a few a few mishaps trying to get onto the right track. Uh, there. I, I was I was pretty tired at that stage, and I was just taking the hags as corridors. I was just like oh, I'll go this, I'll go down this one, and as far as I could get down the <laughs> corridor, and then you would they would check where you were, and you oh. were like. Frig, I am not even looking in the right direction. Because yeah, they do, like, you, you can just phase off into them, like... Uh, the fascinating for me, I think, <laughs> for me, was because I, I finished as as the first runner on the road. So I was able to see and go to the, the van that they had at the finish line with the big TV screen and see <laughs> what other people were doing with the routes. But exactly where you are with those those hags, um, there were loads of people just running around in circles. Um, yeah. And... Uh, I met Don Hannon after the race, and he said him and um, Suzanne Kenny, who he was running with, they they found someone up there, who just basically hugged them and said, "Thank God you found me. I've been running around in circles for half an hour." Uh, I know. Like, I was with like five people. They went right, and I goes, "That's not right." And I went left, and then it must have been about ten minutes later, they came from my left, and I went, "How did yeah. that happen?" <laughs> it's like they've gone round, or I've gone round. But it is. It, is. it wasn't even that bad, like visibility wise. No, but I not imagine down there. that in, the, in the thick fog. Like. Um, but it does end. It sort of adds the fun factor to it a little bit, you know, for us guys anyway who aren't out and out looking for a podium place. It is a yeah. bit hilarious, <laughs> to be honest. Like, yeah. but even even after CP one, when we came through that, and you come off the trail, you come through the forest, um, then you're out in the open. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a bit tricky there as well. Because there's two ridges. You can go up high on the right, up high on the left, yeah. down the river. Um, and I went down the river. And I oh, hadn't right. seen anybody in a while. That's the way yeah. Sean Stewart had gone the year before. So he was right, I'm going oh, down this way. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, Sean, I let that out. But, um, <laughs> but when I came out of the, of the fog, I could see everybody up on the left ridge up high. And I was like, shit. Yeah. But then I seen people on the right ridge too. So well, I guess, well, that's not too bad then. The only downfall of that is when you hit the forest, you have yeah. to climb up to the entry. Yeah, yeah. But you did yeah. come. There is a way in. Uh, there's a second track. Yeah, that I a, low, know some a people, low track. 
take uh you have to go through the forest to get to um yeah it's a bit of a gamble yeah. isn't it you'd be Tricky walking around enough. that forest all night yeah and what what were your on reflection what was your biggest mistake in the race your learning point um i would say it was um after checkpoint two i i took that shortcut which is called fool's lane and i for some reason thought i was going too far right and i ended up going too far left and i lost the actual path i maybe lost a few minutes there but it wasn't that bad and then uh, that route over the ridge um instead of going up the the bouldery sort of cliff to to arts cross um I, I made a few errors there, but uh, nothing, nothing major, you know. Um, it just seemed to be taking a lot longer than I thought it would to yeah. get to the top of that hill. It's um, a frustrating race, isn't it? It can be a yeah. little bit frustrating, like because you, yeah. when when it goes a little bit wrong, you know it's gone wrong. Then you're like, oh yeah, shit. and you know everyone likes to run, but at times it's impossible to run, and and you're just cursing the terrain. You you're thinking, okay maybe i'll find a path somewhere i'll you know find a pathway and then i can run again uh because you're just kind of jumping and skipping and just trying to get over the terrain I, I remember my left foot it was like running on a real steep camber and then it was it was going the opposite way which was giving it a bit of relief then <laughs> it was never flat <laughs> it was way yeah. to the left or it was way to the right like um and the amount of holes that were there as well like um especially with the rivers running under the ground it's almost yeah, like yeah, running you, through a minefield. You're like, shit, you you're just waiting You get those sounds of the gurgling water and you're like, there's no water here. Where is it? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm surprised, like, to date, no one has had a, a serious leg break or anything like that in, in one of yeah. those. Because if you run into one of those holes and you, your leg goes in and you're at a good pace, you could do yourself serious damage. I, I was thinking that myself, but I do think um, there's not too many people apart from the front runners who are really giving it that. So the majority of the race, because I was fast hiking it, I couldn't have run it because it was yeah. steep and it was up and down. I don't think I could have went faster running because mm. I didn't have the confidence to. So you'd run the 100, you get a little track 100 meters long, you're like, yay, and then it just stops. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah. damn. But it was nice to get the 100 meters. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but because at one stage coming out of CP1, um, and I was like, was, it was my first time on the course, by the way, I hadn't wrecked it. And I was thinking there must be a track here somewhere. I must be just, but there wasn't. <laughs> and I was yeah. thinking to myself, got fair play to everybody who has ran this race. Because mm -hmm. even the walkers, like I knew two girls that went off in front of me with a map around their neck. And I went, geez, I hope they get it through this. All right. Like, <laughs> because it is like that though. It's in the middle of like it's three or four in the morning. It's fog dates. There's no pass. There's just hags up and down. And every but time that's the best thing about the race is that you're you're out there in the middle of the night and you're like, Why the hell am I here? Like standing <laughs> at the top of this windy hill without any visibility. Uh yeah. Uh I think that's definitely the, the attraction of it. You 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 are off off piece, you're off the track, you know, and yeah, the, the self navigation thing. It is kind of satisfying when it goes right. Um Yeah. And we can't go past um saying how good of a job the Dublin and Wicklow Mountain Rescue Team done, like the support yeah. from them guys. They really give that race atmosphere, didn't they? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's so well organised and um, so much more pizzazz than some races, you know, because they have so many people working it and volunteering. Um, so you get into a checkpoint and, you know, I was trying to 
keep my head down and, and get in and out as quickly as possible but it's like for for the walkers that must be an amazing uh reception to go in and you know have have those fires and uh, the food and everything um yeah i walked into cp2 and somebody came over lifted all my water bottles off me to fill them all up and this and i went do i look that bad that they feel they need to <laughs> help me that much <laughs> like um but the support was absolutely fantastic would you go yeah. back yeah i think i i mean you know if if i'm able to i'll do it next year yeah um it has a draw it has a certain draw to it hasn't it yeah i think it's the kind of race where if if you've enjoyed it and i enjoyed it both years um but you always feel like you could do better you know there's always a slightly better route you can take and um a slightly better uh pacing strategy maybe or you know you might get better head torch even and better shoes you know could make the difference in it yeah, we, we have um, a challenge bell here in the Moans um, from Carrick Little um, for the seven sevens. And mm. you can pick your own route. That's the whole point of it. Some people don't yeah. get it because it's not the traditional route. But the whole point of it is you can pick your own route. Um, some people have done it six, seven, eight times. And it's a bit like that. You know, I, yeah. I could have went this way or I could have done that. Or um, there was one guy just drew a, a line from Donard all the way to the <laughs> bell with a ruler. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. He just ran right across all the bogs and he'd done it. And I thought, you know, it's that type of thing. There's never, there's never, I don't think there's ever the perfect race and it'll always, it'll always have that eaten inside, you know, oh, maybe I could have done this or I could have done that yeah. or the fueling or this or that or spent too much time with yeah. that person. Um, getting a sub six hours mm. on that must have been very satisfying, especially with yeah. that additional distance at the end. Yeah, that was my target. Um, I thought I was able to do six forty-five, um, but yeah, I did six fifty-three in the end, which I think was was probably the best I had in me on the day. Five fifty-three, five. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> five fifty-three. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was always a target, and I got to the top of the table track and looked at my watch, and I was like, "Oh, this could be tricky. Yeah, it might not happen." Um, but I was I was able to run that road section and it, that was my whole kind of pacing strategy for the race was thinking about that last 6k on the road mm. and how a lot of people might misjudge it and um, that me as, as someone who's used to running longer distances might be able to run it better than, than other people. Um, it's quite a nice bit of a road though, isn't it? I know it's a bit of a pain being there, but it's quite undulating. Oh, but it... oh it's undulating and there's like two... <laughs> two uh nasty hills just before the finish line well the very uh, the very finish line you come round yeah. and you got the corner hill and you're yeah. like oh come on like and you can't you can't see the finish line ever like until you're literally yeah. there so there's one building uh, that you might... see first and you're like is that it yeah. and, oh damn it, it's not it it might be a good thing but i don't i don't think it is um but yeah we weren't uh, we weren't going fast but i was with two guys and i actually went into google maps because I was sick of not seeing the finish line because I could see the trees yeah. in front of me on the right. I was like, how far, <laughs> where is it situated to them frigging trees? Like, it's not coming here. Yeah. It's not too many went over lugged off. And I don't know if anybody did lugged off and down the Wicklow Way and drop oh, in. Oh, I think I saw, um, actually, it might have been the mountain rescue guys up there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I saw some, some dots on the map after it finished, but I think they were different color to the, most of the runners so whether they were what's your thoughts about that route because you need to nail it like yeah um 
I wouldn't do it in a race, but I, I think it'd be fun to run, you know, yeah. if, if the, I think there might be um, talk of changing the course again and, and bringing that in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the river is good to be able to, when you get into table track and come down the river there, it's good to be able to switch off. Yeah. As in, you don't well, need to navigate anymore. You've got a handrail yeah. the whole way back in. Yeah, you have to watch where your feet go. Um, but yeah, and you can let off the brakes and, and let the gravity take you down to a certain extent as well. Um, yeah, a lot of the hard work seems to have been done, you know. You think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you do. You, you know you're going to survive the race. That's the yeah. only thing. You know off. Yeah. Well, you know you're not going to be embarrassed and get took off by the mountain rescue team because you're walking around yeah. in circles. That's the key thing. <laughs> um, I was under additional pressure because I'm now a guide in the morns. That's what I do. I thought, Jesus, oh, yeah, if so I, yeah, I, if I go lost. off, yeah. my, yeah. my course was shit, by the way. I was sort of, as I was saying, walking down the corridors in the hags and just hoping for the best. <laughs> and It wasn't working, so I had to keep on readjusting. Um, fantastic first place anyway. Congratulations on that. Are you yeah, anything else you. lined up for this this coming year? What's your big target? Um, well, I got I got pretty much everything tied up in, in terms of race plans. Um I'm doing the Donnady 50k in a couple of weeks. Um, so a quick recovery from the Art O'Neill and then straight into that, which is my barometer for the year. You know, okay. whatever time I do at Donnady kind of lets me know how, how my winter training has gone. Then it is the Thames Path 100 in Very London good. in May and West Highland Way, 95 miles in Scotland in June. Uh, again, there's a bit of a, a short time between the two of them, but I'm hoping I'll be all right. Then I was just literally going to put my application in tonight for Spartathlon uh, this year. So uh, hopefully be heading back over there in September. Um, is that your yeah, key? I'm, is that your key race? Is that the one that you know? It has to, has to be. Yeah, if you've got Spartathlon yeah. on your race calendar, you have to make it your your key race. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, like, isn't it? It's... Even if you're not. If you're not a, a fast runner, if you're if you're just there to try and finish Sparta, then you have to give it all your your priority. It's that kind of race. Um, I think I could hang my cap after doing that one, to be honest. But it's it's yeah. one of those dream races. It's Spartathlon and the race across Scotland is another one. For some reason, those yeah. two. I I've looked at that and uh, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to do it this year, but no circumstances mean I, I won't be able to do it but um that's definitely on my calendar um looks like a fantastic race 214 yeah. miles i think it is i'm not sure like yeah you're originally that's from where scotland I'm from, actually yeah yeah that's where i'm from uh southwest scotland dumfries so oh, very good um where i went to school a place called thornhill the southern upland way passes i don't know like six or seven miles uh away from thornhill so Class. um i know some of the hills uh, and <laughs> They're they're pretty pretty big hills, yeah. you know. They they'd be called mountains in in Ireland. <laughs> to put that in perspective. <laughs> um, key thing I suppose, sort of listening to you is is really that strength and condition and and getting that consistency going. You talked about seeing how your winter training was going, was picking up on that. It's good to get that recovery at the end of the year and then pick it up and sharpen up over winter, yeah. like getting ready for the race season, but not burning yourself out. Yeah, I my winter training has I've seen a bit more so speed work than I maybe do just to try and get the legs moving a bit faster. Hopefully this year, <laughs> you know, because I'm not getting any younger. So yeah, uh, hopefully 
see how it goes. Uh, it's hard to tell from the Art O'Neill because it's such a unique race. You know, you don't really know how fast you are. You know, you've you've done a good job if you win it, but yeah. I you still know. take it though. You definitely still take oh, it. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, still a good like indicator. I said, on Instagram said, "Is a dream come true?" You know, um, it really is. Um, it's one of those races that I've had my eye on for for years. And, and years when you hear the greats like Ian Keith and stuff like that, you know, people are yeah. sharpening their teeth, cutting their teeth. Sorry, on on races like that and yeah. wins on that, and that leads to great things. Um, Alistair, thanks very much. We'll wrap it up at that. Um, I'm Cheers, hope, hopefully going to get this out on Friday. Well, I will get out on Friday. Cool. The timing's right. So until yeah. next year, I'll keep an eye out on Spartathlon and see how you get on. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. Appreciate Cheers. that. Thank Catch you. Catch you later. Cheers, bye. bye. Just before we go, I'd just like to give a shout out to John Murphy, who looked after me before the race, and Dermot Kelly and his big mate Wayne, who I had the pleasure of, who I had the joy of finishing the last few miles with. I will finally get James Gibson's episode out this week on his winter at Wainwright's fastest known time. And following that, we have a treat just in time for Castle Ward, last one standing. We have the king of the backyards on the podcast, Harvey Lewis, which will be released the weekend of Castle Ward. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>